Good morning, church. It's so good to be here this morning to see so many of you, especially in the English service, now that we have started again. Now, I've been continuing the series on the creed, right? And I thought that it would be good to... Can we... Okay, right. This morning, uh, uh, we've been looking at the creed, actually, and... Uh, this morning, we come to the statement, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, the Lordship of Christ. Now the question is, is Jesus Christ Lord? And as Christians, we've always believed that He is Lord and that He is divine. And if we come to our communion service, we would say the Nicene Creed, right? During the morning prayer, we say the Apostles' Creed. Now, in the Nicene Creed, we believe uh, that uh, the Nicene Creed affirms that Jesus is divine, that He is God, He's equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, uh, I mentioned before that uh, part of the problem that provoked or led to the Nicene Creed is because there was an elder called Arius, and he taught that Jesus was not divine, that he was created by God. He was created out of nothing. So that means there was a time when he was not created at all. And Arius used to have a chant. There was when he was not. There was when he was not. Four words in Greek. And you can have it as a chant, you know, and it's very catchy. All right, and, uh, and they were gaining popularity. So in response, the church also had a chant, which we actually say during our Sunday service. Uh, and it is, you know, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. That means Father, Son and Holy Spirit. As from the very beginning, all three existing from the very beginning is now and ever shall be. All right. So when we sing that song, perhaps we can think of how the early fathers have actually uh, crafted this in response to what Arius was actually chanting. I think we have that chant, right? Do we sing it? Glory be to the Father. And to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Now that was a song, right? Okay, so with that, we are in good company. From Jesus, the early apostles, until the 4th century, until now, we believe that Jesus, Son of God, our Lord. Good company. So, as we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that truly you are the Lord. That, Heavenly Father, you are the Lord and that we worship and praise you. We give glory too to our Lord Jesus Christ who has come to die for our sins and had risen again and gone back to the Father. 
Our Father, we just pray that this morning you'll open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things out of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Now suppose I were to tell you that I did something miraculous. How would you respond? Now, as I was about to sleep one night, suddenly a winged horse appeared outside my house, neighing very softly. And I was curious to find out what was really going on. And I so went out and I saw this horse rather friendly. I petted it. It allowed, it allowed, it allowed me to mount upon it. And in a second, we are, we are off the ground. And we travel so fast from one city to another. And finally to Jerusalem, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And there, I had some time to pray. And then I mounted it again and went round and up to heaven and came back. Wow, at supersonic speed. And after that, I went home and I went to sleep. Fantastic, right? How would you respond to what I have to say? You think? The first thing I'm sure you'll say is, <laughs> you're dreaming. <laughs> right? Oh, you have made it up. It's all lies. Oh, you are a bit mad, delusional. You think only, Ma. It's all in your head. It's not there. Alright? Or perhaps it might be true. Alright? But most likely, with the scientific knowledge that we all know now, we won't think that that would be true. And most likely you'll think I'm dreaming and I, it's not very real. Now, in a similar way, we, need, we know that Jesus, during the time when he was on earth, he claimed many things. In fact, very spectacular claims. And the claim that he was divine, that he was not merely a prophet. Now, we all know many people in this world and different religions and ideology respect Jesus as a prophet, right? No problem. During the time of Jesus, when he was going around doing his ministry, his PhD ministry, preaching, healing and delivering, right? Uh, people were amazed at what he did. And during his lifetime, when he raised the son of the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 uh, to 17, the people proclaimed, wow, a great prophet had come. So Jesus being a prophet, recognized during his time was not a big deal. But his claim, an indirect claim particularly, that he is divine is something spectacular. And of course, you and I know, during the course of ministry, I've seen people who actually uh, uh, said to me, can we turn? I think my thing is not doing okay. I think uh, many people have said to, to, to me, and uh, you know, uh, uh, using Zakir Knight's uh, 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 famous argument, actually, it's, uh, Ahmad Didat was the first person 
who actually uh, uh, used this. I remember in the 80s, for example, uh, this was uh, 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 some of the university students who were in, in university were saying, hey, Ahmad Didat is saying this, and they were passing tapes around, you know, uh, uh, and uh, of Ahmad Didat's talk and Zakir Naik. And they say, look, you know, where in the Bible, you know, does Jesus say, I'm God, worship me? If Jesus said that, then definitely he's divine. Now, I think a lot of people were stumped by that, right? In some ways. Are we stumped by it? You know? But let me just say, for example, <coughs> or at least imagine the Jews and the Muslims are very similar, correct? When it comes to someone claiming divine, very similar, okay? Uh, if Jesus wanted to claim that he is divine, all right, how would he do it? Supposing he does it the style that has been said, I am God, worship me at the beginning of his ministry. What would happen? Finish. His ministry would have finished. They would have taken him, charged him with blasphemy, and stoned him. And that's the end of the story. No more ministry. So how could Jesus convey the idea that he's divine and yet fulfill his ministry without having his ministry short-circuited? Now, the Jews and the Muslims are very similar when it comes to someone claiming to be divine. Now, in history, let me just give one example. There is this Sufi scholar by the name of Al-Halaj, all right, Persian person. Now, he claimed that he is the truth. I am the truth. And one of the 99 names of God is the truth. And after he uttered it, he was arrested and subsequently imprisoned, brutally crucified and tortured to death. So you can see that it would be a no-go for Jesus to say, I'm God, worship me, right? It would be a stupid thing to do for Jesus. But is that the only way we can see or realize that Jesus is divine? There would be different ways in some ways, all right? Now, the exact word criteria is not the best thing, all right? Uh... Or like someone had actually said, unless President Biden say, I'm President of United States, uh, believe me. Now, if he does not say that, then he's not the President of United States. Correct? But you'll find that in all his speeches, he didn't say, I'm President of United States. Bah? Right? So is he not President? He is. Neither has Lee Sen Lung, Prime Minister of Singapore. Right? I'm Prime Minister of Singapore. You know? Believe me. So this exact criterion thing uh, is a bit silly, all right? Because it only limits to one way, all right? One way. Now, there are other ways in which Jesus claimed divinity. And you find that some of the ways in which he claimed divinity is quite fantastic in the Bible. And so, we look at the things, at least a couple of things. Number one, 
we see that he is able to do things that are attributed to God. For example, in Mark chapter 2, where there is a paralytic man, and then the man came, all right, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, and the, the, the scribes all said, oh, hey, blasphemy, and say, which is easier to say. Take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven you. Easier to say your sins are forgiven you, nobody will know, ma. right? But Jesus is saying, look, take up your bed, bed and walk is more difficult and I will tell him, take up the bed and walk so as to prove that I can forgive sins. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Of course then, Jesus also delivers people from Satan, the grip of Satan, uh, his deliverance ministry. Now when he was able to exercise uh, demons, the religious leaders say, hey, he is not from God. He is possessed by Beelzebul, Mark chapter 3, right? But Jesus said, no, a kingdom divided by itself cannot stand. A house, and he's actually saying, look, I'm not from Satan. If I'm from Satan, the Satan's uh, 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 kingdom will collapse. I'm of God. And then he goes on to say that I am the stronger man who will bind the strong man, Satan, and plunder his goods. That means that by his exorcism, he is bringing people out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. And then, of course, too, he's able to give life. The story of Jairus' daughter. And this is where, when we look at John's chapter 5, a very important Bible verse. Alright? That chapter. Good to read that whole chapter. You know, Jesus says that he's able to give life. Uh, chapter 5, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills. Who can give life? Only God can give life. You, you and I know, right? Our life is in God's hands. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. For as the Father has life in Himself, He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So we can see that Jesus has the ability to do what God does. And then we all know, we are so familiar with the great commission of Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus said, the risen Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Wow, that is a fantastic claim, right? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Then he says, go, make disciples. You see, here we can see that Jesus is claiming to have all authority and equal with God himself. And then we also sometimes overlook the fact of the baptismal formula, right? Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Now notice the word name is in the singular. It is not in the plural. In one name, that one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when you baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it looks as if that it is baptizing them on three persons that are of equal rank. Now, that's what Jesus is trying to get across and say, look, in baptizing, Disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is claiming divinity for himself and the Holy Spirit on par with God the Father. Now, this is what Jesus said. So I think it is important that this is where Jesus actually claimed uh, uh, for himself. Then something more fantastic, which I think is, is that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Matthew 11, 27, Jesus actually claims exclusive intimate knowledge of God the Father. And this is actually what he says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal. So the Father has most intimate knowledge of the Son and the Son has most intimate knowledge of God the Father. Wow, don't that make them equal? Right? So here you can see that Jesus himself has made stupendous claims. It's not the gospel writers and that's why I focus on what Jesus actually says. Okay? Then he also uses titles that also belong to God, titles that belong to God. He, you know, in the incident of the plucking of the grain, and then Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? That's why he is proclaiming, uh, 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 able to interpret the Sabbath. But when you look at the Old Testament, who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Who gave the Sabbath? It is Yahweh, God himself. So really, Jesus is saying, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's really in some ways equivalent to Yahweh of the Old Testament. Another of the titles is the first and the last. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, the Lord says, I'm the, I'm the first and the last. Apart from me, there's no God. And we see that the risen Lord in one Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So here we can see that Jesus claims to be God, assuming the titles of God in the Old Testament for himself. He has come in the place of God to fulfill the mission that God has given him. And of course, we all love to say John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? The truth and the life. And of course, Al-Halaj who said he is the truth, God executed. Truth and life. Titles that Jesus uses. Now, that, uh, that, uh, that generally belongs to God. Now, one of the favorite titles that Jesus loved to use is the word Son of Man. Now, when you look at the Gospels, you don't quite know what this Son of Man means. But actually, this is from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Now, here is about the vision of the, the different kingdoms, you know. Uh, and then there is the vision of the Ancient of Days. And this is what we read. You know, Daniel said, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like one, like a son of man. A divine being looking like a son of man. 
and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to this Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people's language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, during, the time, during that time, in the time of Jesus, in Jewish thinking, the Son of Man figure would be a heavenly being looking like a Son of Man who would come at the end of time to deliver them out of the corrupt system of oppression and to bring in the kingdom of God, of justice, of peace, of restoration, and of righteousness. And judgment upon evildoers uh, and evildoers. Now, we notice that Jesus uses this, or at least he proclaims this at the end of his life, not at the beginning, right? And we see this at the trial, at the trial in Matthew chapter 26, 62 to 66, when the high priest said to him, have you no answer? What is it that these men testify? And the priest said, I adjure you, <coughs> By the living God. Tell us, you are the Christ, if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus said, you have said so. Yes, I am. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now this, when Jesus says this, he says, look, I am the Christ. But I am that, son, that Danielic son of man who is going to come. And of course, the high priest will say, Wow, this is blasphemy. We don't need any more evidence. Crucify him. And of course, they had to get the Roman to crucify him. Because the Jews at that time didn't have the power of capital punishment. Now let me just say, that this is the, 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 the idea of the Son of Man. But then, when we look at John's Gospel, there is this idea of the descending and ascending Son of Man. Alright? In John 3, no one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Assuming that the Son of Man was with God and now he has descended. Alright? Uh, and that this Son of Man has got authority to execute judgment. And then he says, in chapter 6, verse 62, it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Huh? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So the Son of Man idea has that he is with God, he has come from God, descended, and now he will descend back to God. When the Son of Man is lifted up, all right? Uh, lifted up in the cross and lifted up in ascension to God the Father. Alright, so you, you have that there. So, now, further, what we see is that Jesus goes on to say, look, before the world created, Heavenly Father, the glory I shared with you. In John chapter 17, verse 5, it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Alright? In his high priestly prayer. And then in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Wow. Tremendous claim, right? Tremendous claim. He's saying that he was with the Father. He has come. He shared the glory of God the Father. That is a spec fantastic claim. So, it's stupid to say, where did Jesus say, I'm God, worship me? Right? And then we also know that he works in harmony with God the Father in chapter John chapter 5. That's why I say, you know, now he healed on the Sabbath and, and the people are saying, look, hey, this is wrong. And then he says, my father is working now and I'm working. All right. Father is working on the Sabbath. He's also working. Of course, there's a debate among the Jews. Did God work on, the, on Sabbath or not? You know what I mean? So they come, some of them came to the conclusion that yes, God worked on the Sabbath. You know what I mean? Uh, other people don't work. All right. And rest. But Jesus is saying, my father is working. I'm also working. Now he's actually saying that, look, I am the father are working together, ma. So he's really in some ways putting himself at par with God. And that's why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That was how the Jews understood it at that point in time. And, and they wanted to kill him, actually. All right? Now, it is because of all this, actually. It is because of all that Jesus had claimed in his lifetime with the disciples that after the resurrection experiences that they had with Jesus, the risen Lord, the disciples came to realize and became, began to be convinced that Jesus is the indeed the Christ and the Lord. And that's why the gospel writers, as they reflect on this, could actually, as John writes his gospel to the more or less the Gentiles, huh? he talks of Jesus as the Logos of God. Logos means the word. And we read this in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, that he is in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He was the eternal Word of God, with God. He came to earth, dwell amongst men, and we saw His glory. And Jesus has come to reveal God to us. In Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul actually says. Same idea, right? Different words. And of course, Jesus is the Son of God. We all know that Jesus is the Son of God. Alright? Beginning uh, with the Son of... He's with the Father in the very beginning, sharing His divine glory before the foundation of the world. He descended and came to us to do the will of God the Father, to be our sin offering, so that with the forgiveness of sins, uh, we can be part of the family of God. And after Jesus has done his work, he's gone back to the Father. And here we see that Jesus, as Son of God, is equal with God the Father. But yet, in some ways, when you read the book of John, he's subordinate 
to God the Father, to do the will of God the Father. Alright? He is one with the Father and yet he is subordinate. In terms of role, he is subordinate. In terms of essence, there is equality. In terms of role, there is a difference. Alright? Uh, uh, yeah. Now, of course, you and I have heard some people will say to us, Ah yeah, how is it possible? How can God have a son when he does not have a wife or a consort? Right? That's a very common question that we get asked. Alright? Now, I think uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that that uh, the relationship of Jesus as Son of God to the Father is not to be understood in a biological sense. Alright? A biological sense. Now, the implication of this question is that it assumes that God has to have a consort before he can have a child, right? But my question is, if God is almighty, he can create the universe, is it not possible for him to create something without a wife? Of course! This would be even a less prob uh, less lesser issue. Alright? If God say, let there be light, and there was light, or if God say, be, and it was, right? Can he not have done it without having a consort? Is it too difficult for him? Of course not. So really to understand it in a biological sense is obviously wrong. But of course too, in the Middle Eastern culture, uh, in the Middle Eastern culture, Arabic culture included, they have a term called son of the road, right? Son of the road. Now, what is the son of the road? Does the son of the road mean the road give birth to a son? No, it's not meant to be that. It simply means a traveler, one who is on the road, the son of a road. Or perhaps we want to say that Jokowi, He's a true patriot of Indonesia. He's a son of Indonesia, correct? It's not understood in a biological sense. So you can see that the term has more than one sense. And we should not understand the Son of God in a biological way. Right? Not, not in the sense that people are begotten only through physical sexual activity. Now here we see that, we, that there's a, 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 a metaphorical understanding that the Son of God speaks of His divine origin. Alright? Speaks of His divine origin with God and His eternal relationship with God the Father. That's why He could say, the glory I had with you before the foundation of the earth. His intimate knowledge of God the Father in some ways. So there is this very intimate father-son relationship that Jesus claims. But we also know that God acknowledges Jesus as the Son. Where? Two incidences at least in the Gospel. At Jesus' baptism, right? You are my beloved Son in whom I hear well pleased. You are my beloved son, hear ye him. Right? 
So you can see the father affirms too that the son, that Jesus is the son. So the question is, how then do we try to understand that God the Father is God, God Jesus is God, Holy Spirit is God. And the early fathers tried to think of Jesus as the eternal generation of the Son, to speak of his oneness with God and yet the distinctness. All right. Uh, and that's why when we read in our Nicene Creed, the fathers understood Jesus as eternally begotten of the Father. All right? Eternally begotten. So it's from eternity, right? Then secondly, God from God, right? That means Jesus is God. God from God. Shares the essence of God. Light from light, right? We say that, light from light. And then the other one we say is, what else do we say? True God from true God, right? Now, why is this added? It's added simply because Arius was saying, yes, Jesus is God, but the title of God given to him is honorific only, all right? And so they have to emphasize that Jesus is true God from true God. He's not honorific in that sense, okay? And then they say, look, begotten, not made. Right? So to cancel out the idea that Jesus was created at any point in time. So that Jesus existed from the very beginning with God the Father. Okay? Right? Are you with me here? And one in being with the Father here. Okay? Uh, in Greek is homo usios. Alright? So here we can see that this is uh, 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 the, the, the destination. And the question really that we want to ask today is, what are we to make of the claims of Jesus? Now, C.S. Lewis, the famous professor of English in Oxford University who became a Christian late in his life, and he would say that he became a reluctant believer, all right, persuaded by the truth of, uh, 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 the, truth of the gospel. He says, look, when we examine what Jesus has actually claimed about himself, there are only three options. One, he's a liar. Right? He's a liar. Whatever he says is lies, all fake. And of course, that was ruled out. The second is that he's a madman, right? He's a lunatic. But was Jesus a lunatic? Of course not. And the only other option left is, if he's not liar, lunatic, then he is truly Lord. Now, we all know that he's Lord simply because he died and rose again for us. And he lives forevermore. That he is the living Lord. Now, so what do we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Or I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the early disciples were so convinced of the truth that they were willing to go through all sorts of difficulty for our Lord Jesus Christ. 
all of them were willing to say, I will surrender and die for you. That was how convinced they were of the Lordship of Christ. They were willing to go through whatever problems that they had. And then, whenever I think of St. Paul himself, oops, whenever I think of St. Paul, I always think of the hardship that he went through. In fact, when he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus, he said, look, you will go, you will be my chosen instrument, but you will suffer for me. My goodness, how many of you uh, or me, would be willing to follow Jesus and say, look, you are my chosen instrument, but you're going to suffer for me. I think most of us wouldn't want to believe, right? But yet, we see St. Paul believing. And this is where I love what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 to 10. And this is what he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in affliction, in hardship, in calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riot, <coughs> labor, sleepless night, how many of us have got sleepless night because of the pandemic? Hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit has given uh, uh, genuine love. And by truthful speech, the power of God, the weapon of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So you can see that and through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we are treated like imposters, yet as are true, Unknown, well-known. Dying, behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. As poor, yet making others rich. As having nothing, but possessing everything. And here it says, look, yes, we suffer all of that, but yet we have that peace in Christ. We are, make, we are poor in Christ, but we make others rich. We have nothing but possessing everything. I think of Paul and I realise that he must be willing to go through all of that because he believed that what he saw of Jesus is the truth, is for real. No one would be willing to go through all that kind of suffering if it is a lie, if it is untrue. It is the truth of God that should grip us. So what does it mean for us today? Let us learn to rest in the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Let us acknowledge Him as Lord in our lives again. In times of pandemic difficulties, uncertainty, whether we have a job or no job, or whether we, a loved one is stricken by a disease, often we are down. Often we are sad, and rightly so too, and concerned. But let us be steady and trust in the Lord again. I place my faith, I place my soul in quietness and in trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's what it should be 
And this is where I really love the song that, the three songs that Ian actually chose today. Now, shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Now, uh, I place my soul uh, uh, in your hands. But in, in times of difficulty, you know, very often, we can be either one of three examples. You know, we can be like a carrot. That's very hard, right? Carrot, very hard. But when it's boiled, right, what happens? It becomes very soft, correct? So we can be like that. You know, sometimes we may be very hard, very strong. But then through difficulty, we break down at the carrot. Or we can be like the egg. The egg is very soft, right? You open it. But when you boil, what happens? It becomes hard. And we can be people like that too. But I think best of all is coffee, right? Coffee, you got hot water inside. Wow, you can smell the aroma of coffee. Whatever coffee you want, Starbucks or St. Abak, uh, 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 coffee bean, Ikchong uh, coffee, television coffee, whatever coffee, just smell the aroma. So I believe that yes, through difficulty, let us allow the difficulties to bring out the fragrance of the Lordship of Christ in our life. Then we can say that, that, that we can hide our soul under the wings of God. Hide me now under His wing. Shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. I place my soul in your hand and in quietness and in trust to be able to soar above the flood and the difficulties of this life. Our Lord is truly the Lord and He and His love will not let us go. So let us place ourselves in the love of God, now and always. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came out of his great love for us to die for our sins so that we can be cleansed, so that we can return back to you, God, our Heavenly Father as one happy family in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, this morning, we just commit ourselves to you and we ask, oh God, that yes, sometimes we are struggling in life through all the difficulties and sometimes we wonder whether you are Lord. Lord, help our unbelief. Have mercy upon us. Lord, even now, I want to commit ourselves to you and that we want to stand tall for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are the Lord above all the floods of our life, all the difficulties, and that you are there for us to hold us in the hollow of your hand and will not let us go. And that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives as we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.